You're listening to episode 165 of Scaling Up. Welcome to Scaling Up. I'm your host, Elizabeth Hartke, and if you're listening to this, you're probably a maverick like me. How convenient because I literally made the show just for you. I'm a business scaling strategist that's been in the game for almost a decade now, and I'm weirdly passionate about helping impact-driven entrepreneurs, business owners, brands, and go-getters scale their businesses and their lives. Imagine taking your impact, your income, and your freedom of time to the levels that you can only dream about. Making your mission known to the world and mastering your business strategy so you don't have to keep on trading dollars for hours. I built two two comma businesses doing what I love, what I believe in, and a lot of that has to do with teaching you how to do the same. We drill down on strategy, but we know that it takes more than just business tactics to live the life that you envision. So we go deep on health optimization, mindset, leadership, relationships, and just being that scaled up version of you who is primed and ready to step into your purpose and peak performance. Some days I record this bad Larry from my closet to escape my three littles, and some days I'm down at my barn office on our 12-acre farm. So do me a favor, grab your notebook and a pen and your favorite bevy, and let's get to the show. I'm just coming off of an incredible in-person retreat that I hosted for my Maverick Mastermind down in Arizona, and our team has received a lot of questions about the planning process for an event like that. So today's episode is letting you behind the scenes of our prep work and strategy behind putting together a retreat experience like we just had. I'm going to walk you through how we tracked everything, who does what, budgeting, what you need, what you don't need, and how to pull off an event that really makes an impact on the people attending. More intimate retreat-like events, like the one I'm going to talk about today, have been one of the most powerful drivers in my personal business for the last nine years. And it's where I can serve my clients most deeply, and it's where I do a lot of my market research. I get to know them more and more intimately, and I understand how they tick and what they need and what they're struggling with, so it's a great place to do a lot of different things. Whether you're a service-based business, you're creating something around your brand to generate some energy or buzz around it, or you want to just bring people together, this is a great opportunity to do all of those things. But there are a lot of misconceptions around events like this, so I want to bust the myths so you don't get in over your head and expect a different result from what you're going to get. Let's get to the show. I recently got back from Scottsdale, Arizona, where we hosted our Elite Maverick Mastermind Retreat, and this was an incredible event. So I have my Maverick Mastermind. It runs. It's a six-month program. A lot of my Mavericks continue on with us, and this was the in-person portion of the mastermind, where we were going to come together and really focus on a few different things, business strategy, really elevating them in that strategy, getting under the hood of each of their businesses individually, build more rapport and connection in person, have an opportunity for networking, and just some celebration tied into the event as well. It went incredibly well, and I'm happy to report that many of the girls attending, I saw the light bulbs go off for them, and I know that they now have a strong foundation. When you have a full immersion experience like that, like this type of retreat that is smaller, more intimate, where people can be really connected versus attending a conference with, you know, a thousand other people, you have the opportunity to really understand what people are struggling with, what they want more than anything, and then help them get there in a condensed period of time versus at a conference where they're just absorbing information, but they're not getting the opportunity to personalize that experience. They don't get to talk about their 
actual struggles that they're going through or flesh out an actual business idea. Whereas this experience, they can do that. We had multiple opportunities for them to focus on just them and their business where they got feedback from the whole group. They got coaching. They got opportunities to speak and be on camera. It was just a really comprehensive experience. So I love doing these events. I am very introverted, but I save up my energy for in-person retreats like this, the tighter groups where I can really seek to make a big impact. And we had an incredible time down in Scottsdale. We got to uh, hang out by the pool and do sessions out by the pool. We had guest speakers come in. We had some special treats that we set up for the girls that I'll share a little bit more about about with you guys. We had an amazing room where we were hosting the event and then we got to do some outside stuff. There was just, there were a lot of facets to this particular event and I'm excited to share all of it with you. The first thing to iron out before you plan a tight knit event like this is who is it for, right? So I knew obviously going into this, this was specifically for my Maverick Mastermind, this particular program that I have. So it's for, you know, entrepreneurs who are already in business looking to scale and grow and step into where they're where they're called to be in both their mission in business and in their own personal lives. So that was who it was geared for. But you guys might be hosting an event or a tight knit retreat and it's not for one particular group or program that you currently have. Maybe you're bringing all of your individual clients together, something where they're not currently together, but you're going to bring them together. Maybe it's an event for prospects where you're selling a ticket to a retreat like this and they haven't personally worked with you yet, but this is an appealing way to get them in the door. So this starts to set the tone for where you're going to take this what the experience might be like, and who you're gearing it towards. So make sure you are very clear on who this is for and you speak to that in both your marketing of the event and in the building out of the event and you cater it to that type of person. I do recommend too, if you have a group of people coming in and you have the capacity to do this, you can have them take some kind of personality test so that you know how they tick, especially if you're going to have some kind of call to action within this event towards the end or during the event. But knowing their different personality types, it'll help you in the planning process. I'll share a little bit more about that, but I, it, it was a true testament of attracting people, the right people, because one night we had planned dinners each night, nice dinners. And we also had planned one of the nights to go out to the Rusty Spur Saloon in Scottsdale. Now, I put this on there assuming that many of my girls would appreciate that extra time together and maybe they like going out and they're all, you know, not in charge of the kids for the weekend. So maybe this is something they'd be seeking. I am not a, at this stage in my life, a go out to the saloon type of girl. I'm a, oh, I have a hotel room with no children in it. I would like to go to bed type of girl. So as we're sitting at dinner and we're all enjoying great conversation, which is definitely what really made my girls thrive. Like they loved the deep conversations and the connection. There was chatter about, well, you know, what time are we going to this thing? What time do we think we'll be back? And I started to get this energy in this field that like, maybe they don't want to do this. So I kind of threw it out to the group like, hey, guys, would you guys rather just hang here for an extra drink and like keep chatting and enjoy each other's company and call it quits a little early so that we can get some extra rest? And literally the entire table, every last one of them lit up with smiles of like, oh my God, yes, you just get me. So 
knowing who it's for and understanding what makes them tick and knowing their personalities and what they like and what they don't like helps in the planning of the event. So now I know going forward that I really do track, attract people like me who would prefer to call it quits early and get the extra rest or just spend the time together at a table versus in a room full of other people where you can't even hear yourselves talk. Man, I'm starting to sound old. Okay, so the next step after you determine who it's for is setting goals for the event. So what is this for, right? Is it to build community and connection with an existing group? That was one of the goals that we had because the Maverick Mastermind is a group that's been together for a while and we want an opportunity to be together. We had had to delay this event, which I'll talk about soon, and everybody was just craving this connection and this time together. So that was a big goal for us. It wasn't just about educating and elevating, but it was about that connection and networking. Is it for elevation of that group? So are you going to be doing a lot of teaching and strategy and lessons and stuff geared around growth? If that's the case, your schedule of the event should reflect that. We had that as a main goal too. So we had sessions that were specifically geared towards helping our mavericks elevate in their businesses and in who they are as leaders. Another great tip going into the event Send a questionnaire to the people that are confirmed attending so that you can get a sense of what they want. So aside from things like um, dietary restrictions and things like that that you should really know about your people and as you plan like meals and things of that nature, there's this other side of things that will help you set the goals. Ask them, what are you hoping to get out of this experience? Some of the things the women said was, I'm just looking for that connection. I'm so excited to get out of my house after a year of being stuck at home and to be with the people that I really enjoy and I want to get to know them. Other people were like, I need more profitability. I want some game plans to build in more strategy into my business. So send that questionnaire ahead of time so that you can extract out of them what kind of event they're asking you for and then you can give them that. Is it celebration, celebratory event? Yes, there was some of that for us, but mostly for us, it was about the connection and the elevation. But sometimes you have an event because they hit a certain milestone and they get to attend it or they've earned it, um, or they're coming to just celebrate their wins in business after a long year and it's the close of a mastermind or group coaching program. So be really clear on what the intentions are going into the group. And sometimes when you're having an event, is it to position another offer? Now, that should not be your sole focus of the event. If you make that event, especially a more tight-knit event, all about um, selling something, it will reflect in the experience that the attendees have and it won't be a good thing. So you kind of want to decide, is it connection, elevation, celebration, which of those things, if not all of them or some of them? And then on top of that, are you positioning an offer as well? And my recommendation is position an offer. You have a captivated audience that is going to have a deep connection and experience with you and position an offer that is going to continue to serve them based on what they're looking for, okay? Sometimes, too, you could have an event to create more visibility. Maybe you have a videographer come in, which is what we did. Uh, We didn't do it so much for the visibility, but you could do things to just elevate the brand and capture that event and experience to help position the brand itself. Okay, so we have... Who is it for? Setting your goals around the event. Then you have to set a budget. 
this makes a lot of people stomach turn. And it does for me too, because I'm always just like, I don't freaking know. Like, I just want to have an amazing event. But that's not really a wise way to go into something where you are going to be spending a fair amount of money. So my first piece of advice comes from a a mentor of mine in my life who told me many years ago, live beneath your means. Just because you have it to spend doesn't mean you should, okay? So just because you had a great year, an incredible launch, don't go and you're, you convince yourself because you've heard other people use the phrase, oh, well, I'm, I'm investing it back into my business. That's great. How much of it and why? Don't just say, oh, well, I had a 80K launch. It's all going to go into this retreat. That's ridiculous. You don't need to um, do that kind of thing. So live beneath your means. Make sure you have the money specifically for this event. And think about that before planning an event. If you don't have the cash and this is all going to end up debt for you and you don't, you're not positioning an offer that's going to cover the cost of this event, it's not time to have an event. It's not a wise decision to plan that event. I don't like to buy anything that I don't have the cash for up front. So we budget based on that. But on top of it, we have uh, an event budget that we have set aside. So we know it's not just a budget from our overall budget. We have a specific amount of money per year that we put towards events. And then we pull from that budget accordingly. So you also want to go back to goals when you're creating the budget for your event. If there's a call to action some point within the event, a pitch that's going to cover some of those costs or all the costs, take that into consideration. And if you don't take that into consideration, you know, is this all going to be out of pocket and you're not necessarily getting it back? Or are you going to, it's going to be out of pocket, but then you're going to recoup some of that cost if you sell X amount of your program. So once you have first an upper limit of your budget, then you want to break that down so you're spending appropriately within that budget. Food, hotel, uh, travel, add-ons, etc. Team, things that you're going to be paying for that aren't your typical, you know, monthly payments that you have within your business. So include, if you have, if you're married, include your spouse in the conversation. They might not be neck deep in your business like you are, but you still are probably going to be spending a fair amount of money to host this event. And they should be aware of that. Don't have 10K come out of your bank account and you never even gave fair warning of that. That's my personal opinion. So set that upper limit. And then remember, you don't have to hit the upper limit. That's just like, we will not go above this much. So just to kind of give you a point of reference, it's really hard to give you, I wanted to be able to give you on this, this podcast a specific number that you'd be spending. But that is the most ridiculous thing that I could do because every event is so different. How many people are attending? Where are you hosting it? What region of the country or the world are you hosting it in? Um, Are you going to have gifts? Are you flying guest speakers out or are you not? Are you like there are just so many factors that play into the cost. I think a fair range for an intimate retreat, which would range from, let's say, you know, 10 to 20 people is somewhere in the range of 5k upwards of 15k but I don't think it necessarily has to be that high and again these can drastically change you can all of a sudden bump up to to 25k with some simple changes like who are you flying in to speak or you know things like that so 
but that's a good riff. I think like 5 to 10K is a safe range. You could do it for cheaper than 5K. You definitely could do it for more than 10K. But that gives you an idea so that if you're sitting here thinking like, hey, can I host this thing for 500 bucks? It's not time to host the retreat. I also recommend that either you or someone on your team is there. It's their role to track these expenses. So don't say, oh, yeah, I'm setting a budget of 5K and then you're just going to blindly spend, spend, spend and then look up from that spending and be like, oh, my God, I'm at 5K and I haven't even booked transportation and hotel yet. So you have to have a way to track it so that you can see where you're going with this and make sure you're on track. So for me, that wasn't my role. That was something my ops director, um, I had a team member that was taking care of that. So make sure if it's you, you're on top of it. If it's someone else, they know that that's their responsibility and they're reporting back to you every time you spend so that you know where you're at in that process. And make sure as you go through the spending process, because you will be spending a lot, your credit card might catch fire, save all your receipts and, and bills for tax write-offs. Next up is the actual planning process. So there are three categories under the planning that I think are important. Your time frame, the tools that you're going to use to plan, and your team. So the three T's, time frame, tools, and team. So your time frame is all about how much time do you need to plan this event in its entirety. We started planning this event a year out. And before the event was even done, my operations director was like, pull out your calendar. We are picking the next event and we are getting the planning going for that one already. So I do recommend having a good chunk of time to plan this out. Doesn't mean you can't put something together in a few months, but then you're planning and marketing it at the same time and it's stressful and it's tight. For an event of this caliber with this much depth, Give yourself enough time. There's no reason that you shouldn't plan a year ahead, six months ahead at least. And that gives you time to work with vendors and find people and that way you're not like filling in the gaps last minute. As far as tools go, we used Trello to plan this entire process. So we created boards with deadlines and assigned tasks to different members of our team. So I'm gonna talk you through a little bit of what we had on our Trello board so that you can have an understanding of how we used it. So we had a board called Maverick Retreat 2021, and this was specifically for this retreat. So I'll give you all the um, conversations and boards within this particular board or these the, the main headers of this event so that you know exactly what we were focusing on. So the first section was called logistics. And under logistics, we had everything from the confirmed attendees and their names and information we needed from them, like what time they were flying in, their flight info. We had our budget there. We had the hotel reservation link so that we could easily share it with our Mavericks. Um, information about the location with the phone number. It was just logistics, you know, the date of the event, cutoff date for reserving rooms, um, COVID updates from the hotel, and contact info. So we had all of that under logistics. Then we had my operation director's board. So she was in charge of things like booking the hotel for the team and travel booking. Um, She was also, we had a couple of attendees who were legally not able to come because they were in other parts of the world that were their particular countries were completely restricted from traveling to the U.S. So we had a virtual link option for those people. 
So we had to have all the virtual stuff locked and loaded, the links that they would need. Uh, we had, she was taking care of our AV needs, like our tech stuff, run of show, um, a preliminary agenda, resources, spa services, all that stuff. She had a long, plenty long list, longer than that. Then we had communications. So we had the emails that we had going out to the attendees at different points leading up to the event. We had the pre-event questionnaire. We had a media release. Um, We had different things that were supporting the communication with vendors and planning for the event. We had a Canva resources board. That's where we had all our graphics for different things. And then we had, it went into schedules. So we had Friday presentations and each presentation was broken down into a card. And within that card had the slides for the presentation, the time that it was going to be at, who was speaking, the topic, all that stuff. Same for Saturday. Then we had a board for guest speakers because we had three guest speakers at this particular event. So we had their... um, their bio in there, their headshot, information about the talk they were doing. Then we had info on the VIP event we were hosting for people who earned a VIP option. We had a board full of graphics. Uh, We had a list of things we had to purchase, print, and bring. So this was kind of like our checklist of all the things, the gifts we had to buy for the Mavericks, um, tools that we needed, extra extension cords. Like there are so many little details that go into a planning event like this that people underestimate, which is why I recommend you definitely don't do it alone. Even if you don't have the team to support you, bring in team to support you for an event like this. And if you can't afford that yet, it might not be time to run an event. It would be a lot of pressure to cover all these bases, like, you know, setting up the meeting room and decor. And it's just like, there are a lot of little things. We had a tech board, We also had the schedule board that broke down each day we were there and the time we were doing each thing. What time was the breakfast buffet from? Um, How long did we have the room rental for? What time was lunch at? We hired, we brought in uh, fresh juices and smoothies as a pick-me-up on one of the days. What time would those arrive and what was the cost? So we had all of that broken down. And then we had a post-event board, which we're still working through because we have I will go over this, but there's stuff that is should be done after the event as well. So that was our Maverick board, and we worked from that board. Within that board, we had different cards. Essentially, you just want a home base where you're planning everything out. If you just have like a running Google Doc, that gets messy. It's hard to move stuff around. How do you check it off? Who's changing it? I thought Trello was the perfect tool to do this kind of event. You can use Asana, you can use Monday, whatever works for you, but have one consistent place where you're doing all of your planning for the event. Okay, hold on. Humor me for a second here because this is too good not to share. If if you've been following me for a while, I had I pretty much cut out all alcohol for a few years time, which is crazy, but true. I'd have a drink maybe like here or there if we had friends over and we made a big dinner or once every couple of months, like one drink every couple of months, maybe. But I'd always pay for it later. And I hated that. Like, it's not worth it to me. I have three little kids. They don't care that mommy had a glass of wine the night before and they're not going to let me sleep it off. I can't stand hangovers. I can't stand being foggy brained or having a headache or whatever the next day. I'd have one glass of wine. I was turning into such a pathetic little lightweight and it would cut into my work and my mood. It just, it wasn't worth it. But if I'm being totally transparent, the Italian in me missed her wine. And that was just kind of my like curl up by the fire kind of drink or my cherry on top of an amazing Italian dinner kind of thing. 
but it wasn't worth it. And you also know that I'm totally obsessed with health. We've eliminated all the garbage in our lives as a family. And it never really occurred to me that I'm over here avoiding fruits and vegetables that are sprayed with chemicals, buying organic, but I'd drink a glass of wine, never putting two and two together that the grapes were being sprayed with all the toxins that we completely cut out of our lives. So when I heard about dry farm wines, I'm a skeptic and a research junkie, so I dug into it. Organically grown grapes without any of the additives or toxins sprayed on them, the stuff that I hate. Sugar-free. That's right, sugar-free. And sometimes I feel like for me, having a drink, the sugar hits me harder the next day than the alcohol even does. Lower sulfites, paleo and keto-friendly. So I also am the type that never wants to recommend anything to you guys unless I've tried it for myself and tried it quite a few times. So... I'm happy to report that I'm obsessed. My husband and I are obsessed with dry farm wines. I can drink wine again. I can curl up by the fire. I can have it with my big bowl of pasta. And I love the taste. And really, I love the fact that it's small batch and supporting organic farmers all over the world. This is like, you know, what I stand for in business, too. I want to support the small businesses throughout the world. So if you care about that kind of stuff like I do or you just really like good wine go check them out. They've offered to do something special for you guys as my listeners of Scaling Up, and they're going to give you a bottle for one penny. They can't do it for free legally because of the whole alcohol thing. With your order at dryfarmwines.com forward slash Eliz, E-L-I-Z. So man, it has just been so worth it to go this route. I can enjoy a glass of wine again. And if there's ever a bottle you don't love, they replace it, no questions asked. So that's always really appreciated because then you're not going to love every single wine that you try. It's a perfect gift for yourself, maybe, or for my fellow wine lovers and hangover haters. This is great for you. No hangover. Are you hearing the words coming out of my mouth? No hangover. So go check them out. Take advantage of what they're doing for our scaling up community. I so appreciate that. Dryfarmwines.com forward slash Eliz. Okay, thanks for letting me digress for a second here and let's get back to the show. Another thing we had leading up to the event were weekly meetings. So we had touched base with everybody that was involved to talk through their tasks and the things that they were working on, they were focused on and responsible for leading up to this event. And if there was anything that was bottlenecking us, we could work through it in the weekly meeting. We made sure to have an agenda going into that meeting, so we stayed on track too. And then the person responsible for this was taking care of vendor check-ins. So throughout that year of planning, they had to touch base and check in and make sure everything was squared away with the vendors because there were so many changes, which I'll, I'll also talk about with COVID that made it tricky to make sure everything was still on task, you know, things were still happening. And then within your team, so the team piece of it is who is responsible for what, okay? So you're having those calls to touch base, but before you even have those weekly calls, who's responsible for what? That's where that Trello board came in really handy was because we could literally, I could go to my operations director's board and see exactly what she was responsible for. I could go to my board and see exactly what I was responsible for. So our team looked like this. We had the visionary, me, the person kind of creating the big ideas and bringing them to the team. We had multiple VAs. We had an operations assistant. We had an operations director, and she was kind of the point person for everything. We had our videographer and photographer, graphic design, integrator, and tech. And then we had all the vendors, hotel staff, restaurants, transportation, spa, um, 
AV set up at the hotel, gifts, different things like that. So that was kind of our list of people. You don't need that many moving parts or you could have more. It's it's up to you, but that's what worked for us. So once you do the planning portion, this is where you get into logistics because I promise you when you ha- create an event and you've got your plan, it will not go according to plan. And you have to have contingency plans and backup plans and other strategies. And you got to be quick to roll with the punches. If you go into this like, wow, look at this beautiful plan I created. It's perfect. I can't wait to host this perfect event. Expect to feel disappointed the entire time. If you go into it like this is what we're aiming for, but we are quick to pivot. We are quick to adjust as necessary. We are flexible. We're, we're adapting to whatever's thrown our way you will have a great event, okay? So the event was originally planned for us right at the start of COVID when everything started shutting down. And that's when we got the call from the hotel saying, hey, we're basically in lockdown. We can't host people. We're shut down. Like, okay, back to the drawing board. So we needed contingency plans right from the beginning. So the first thing we had in mind were our Mavericks. How do we ensure that they don't feel disappointed and bummed? I mean, I knew they wouldn't be upset with us because it was out of our control. But how can we still make it a great experience for them, even though we don't get to get get together in, a, in person? And that was out of our control. So we're going to control what we can. We could control moving it virtual. And that actually ended up being a great experience because we were able to bring in more guest speakers and more experts, and we did our best to make the experience great. We shipped things to their house to make it feel like they were still, like, engaging outside of just the virtual space. And we had to remain in constant communication to kind of shift gears quickly. So we made it virtual, and what we decided was instead of just totally going virtual, We moved it virtual and then told our Mavericks, hey, we promised you guys when you signed up for this program an in-person experience. This virtual experience is not replacing our in-person experience. This is a bonus. You will still have a ticket to our in-person experience whenever we're able to have it. And we just wanted to let them know like, hey, trust us. We will take care of you. This is just a bonus, but we will ultimately be having an in-person event at some point when the world permits. And they really appreciated that. And then they got a bonus event and really great um, speakers and people they wouldn't have access to if this was just the in-person event. Then as we were planning, my amazing operations director who knows me very well was like, okay, what are our COVID rules? Like we have to come up with our list of demands. Like what's our, like, what are we requiring? What are we not requiring? Now I know this isn't everybody's stance, but it is 100% my stance that I was not going to insult these incredibly intelligent sovereign beings by telling them what they could and couldn't do and what was best for their personal health and safety. I think that is one of the biggest mistakes that is happening in our country right now. I won't go off on a tangent or I'll try not to. So I wasn't going to do something that I did not believe in. So I told them that they are adults and then I fully trust them to make the decisions that are best for them. If that decision is not attending because it's not the right thing for them, I fully respect that and I support them. If that is attending and being um, masked because that's what made them feel safe, I support that as well. If it was coming and just engaging in it fully and not stressing about that, 
I fully supported that as well. I was not going to insult them by putting more confines and rules on them when the world's already doing that, I think, from a completely wrong place. I wasn't going to strip them of their independence. And I invited them to be, I invited them to show their smiles so that we could all be together. And thankfully, everybody did that and we felt safe and healthy and great. And it was a wonderful time. So I didn't create any additional list of demands, but it was something we had to think about because this is the nature of the world we're in right now. And you might feel really differently about that. And you want to take that into account when you create your event. And what might happen is it might not make some people happy, no matter which way you go. If you had set up rules saying, hey, we have strict policies on this, we want you masked six feet apart, there would be people like me being like, it's not worth it for me to attend. I don't want to have that. That feeling doesn't sit well with me. But then you might make some other people who that would make them feel safer say, hey, I want to come. And then on the other side of the coin, you might say, hey, no, you get to make that decision. We're not we're not doing that. And it would piss some people off and and other people would feel safe and comfortable and whatever. So it's you have to be a leader. And even if COVID didn't exist, like you have to be a leader that has the courage to make decisions that you believe are right. And people will roll with it or they won't. Right. So you have to be willing to step. There is literally nothing that you could come up with that will please everybody. I guess that's my point. So as you go through this entire process, um, Come up with your contingency plans, have your backup plans, have the plans for, you know, what happens if you get delayed? Like, I didn't want to be flying in too tight to the event because it's winter and I'm coming from the Midwest, which means there's a fair chance that something's going to be delayed or canceled. So I wanted plenty of buffer. So I came in plenty early with my team. We used that day to relax, go to the spa and do some planning for both the event and for years ahead in our business. We also have to plan for people kind of dropping out last minute, even without a pandemic that happens, but then put on top of it all these crazy restrictions. I had a few girls that were devastated. They called me the day before and like they were in contact with so-and-so who was contact with so-and-so and they they felt like they couldn't come. So at the last minute they were out. So you can't, don't let that devastate you. Don't let it totally shift your mindset. Like just know, expect these things to happen. And if it doesn't, great, that's gravy. But if it does, you're like, yep, this is the nature of planning something like this. The numbers will change. The weather won't cooperate. Like a vendor will screw up. That's just what this looks like. That's why you have to be prepared for all of these potential catastrophes or minor hiccups. Speaking of hiccups, Also, as a part of our logistics, we had a very strong plan in place to, quote, protect the visionary, i.e. me. So when you're the face of this kind of event and you're pouring into your people and you're speaking for days on end and energetically present for days, and you're especially if you're introverted like I am, you need plans in place to protect the visionary or else you will not be able to show up for your people like you want to, period. There's no way around it. Like if you think you're going to plan the event, host the event, run the event, and deal with all the crap that happens in the course of the event, it's just not going to work. So that was not my responsibility in that process. So I never personally talked to a vendor. The hotel was not dealing with me. I was not even made aware on purpose of any little hiccups that could be taken care of by my team that didn't require me. Um, I was not in charge of paying for things. My team had my credit card to take care of that. There was 
time built into the schedule with great intention for me to regroup and recuperate, I was not in charge of the schedule. I was literally told where to show up and when. So when the Mavericks would be like, what do we have next? I'm like, I don't know. I'll wait till Amy tells me because that was not my responsibility. I didn't want any of my brain power going there. And if you guys have been following along for the last two years, knowing I have Hashimoto's and all these other autoimmune things that can like trigger me and send me into a physical spiral of exhaustion, I couldn't afford to um, have that be happening. So my team was amazing at protecting me in this whole process. We also had incredible workbooks made. Uh, My amazing graphics and integrator, Taylor, she nailed it with the branding and made these incredible, we had a 50 plus page workbook for the girls and we had them printed locally to the event. So make sure you do a test run with whoever's printing. You leave plenty of time that if it goes wrong, you can have them print a second time. Um, The schedule was also really important. So the schedule was really detailed for us behind the scenes, like for the team. We knew exactly to the minute when things were happening, but it was way more vague for our attendees. So for us, it would say like, Liz is speaking on this topic at 8.45 to uh, 9 a.m. At 9 a.m., it shifts into this topic, and then we have a break at this time. They just saw, like, from 8.45 to 1 p.m. presentations. And when you do it that way, one, I always encourage people attending my events to participate, don't anticipate. Like, let us take care of you. Don't stress about the details. Like, this isn't your responsibility. That's our responsibility. Just show up. And it also allows for flexibility in the schedule so that they don't anticipate your every move and say, hey, wait a minute, you said at 8.50 we were doing this, but we're doing something else. Like you don't need people breathing down your neck and nobody feels thrown off if you decide to pivot in your event so that you don't have to get the backlash from that. And they just know there's like these broad sweeping parts of the schedule that they they know where they have to be basically. And then we had phone numbers handy at all times. So we had hotel, events, vendors, all those different things were on um, the list. And my number was nowhere to be found. So the ladies had access to my ops director and other team members, but they didn't have my number because I didn't want to be getting a call at, you know, midnight when someone got locked out of their room because that wasn't going to help protect me in that process. But we also didn't want anyone stranded. So we had numbers for them to call. Then you want to build in enhancements. So these are not like the the backbone of the event. It's not necessary to have these things, but they enhance the event. They enhance the experience. And again, this goes back to goals and the people that you're serving and what you want this to look like. But some of the enhancements we had throughout, we know that like sometimes you attend an event and you get a bunch of little tchotchke gifts that you just want to throw away. So we're like, okay, we don't want to do that. We want practical things that are going to go to them and we want things that they would like and want to keep, but we'd rather put money towards little treats and, um, fun surprises throughout the event than physical gifts that they don't really care about. So we did enhancements. The workbook was a great enhancement. But then we also thought, okay, this day is running really long. We had Friday, we were in presentations basically from, you know, 8.30 in the morning all the way through to 5 p.m., I believe. And it was a really intensive day. So we're like, okay, we're going to have smoothies come in right around like 3 p.m. when everybody's crashing. It's post-lunch, but they're getting hungry again. So we found this local organic smoothie shop, and we had these little cards made where they could pick the smoothie, check it off, and we ordered those, and those were delivered. 
We also had photo shoots for the girls so that they could use pictures for their branding. We had our videographer there and we did something really cool where we had them film five minutes of them really speaking to their mission and what they do so that then they can get that five minute video and use it. They can chop it up for social media. They can put it on their website. They can use it on a sales page. So that was kind of an enhancement that we wanted to add into it. We did have some gifts, but we tried to make them things that they'd appreciate, like a really nice canvas tote bag and this really pretty sun hat and a water bottle that they were all using at the event and things like that. We also, on Saturday, we were out by the pool. We had, we got a couple of cabanas. We were out by the pool. We did some sessions out there and then we brought in a body walker. So each girl had a 15 to 20 minute slot where there was a grown man walking on their bi- on their back, and it was awesome. It was like getting a massage, trying to loosen you up. You know, you're doing all this planning and strategizing, but then we do this body walking experience. And then on Sunday morning, everybody was leaving Sunday sometime in the afternoon, but early in the morning, we did mimosa yoga. So we brought in someone to do yoga for us, and she actually included the mimosa into the workout literally like we were holding a champagne glass at 7 30 in the morning as we were in holding a yoga pose and i swear to you that champagne glass felt like it was 50 pounds by the end of that class so we tried to come up with things that were really going to enhance the experience and be a little treat and a surprise versus just giving them a bunch of crap that they'd probably throw out before they even head home and just an i just to give you an idea the industry standard for events like this is you cover Everything once they're there as far as the event experience and meals and things like that, but you don't typically cover their room or travel. There are higher ticket events, fine. If it's like a 20K plus experience, something like that, or 15K, then you can consider that if you want to, but that industry standard is you don't cover those things. Okay, so then there's the execution of the event. So my operations director, she was just awesome. I told her I wish we put a Fitbit on her during the event because she must have walked like 80,000 steps every day. Um, She had the run of show. So the run of show was all it was like our baseline for the event and the schedule. But it was also helping each of us know where we had to be and when. And it was also being tweaked continuously based on if we ran a little long, if we finished up early, if we got a vibe that we needed to switch things up. We had the lists going in for the photographer and the videographer. So they knew ahead of time, not on the fly. They knew ahead of time exactly what they were capturing. We had the name of each attendee and we knew they we wanted each of them to have their own personal photos. So she knew she had to capture that at some point. For the videographer, We he knew that he was going to be capturing each of the girls speaking. So that was something that he he had ahead of time. What kind of footage? What kind of B-roll was he grabbing? What kind of candid shots was the photographer taking? Give examples if you find examples ahead of time. Don't try to do this at the event. Do it beforehand. Another big thing that we did and that I highly recommend is keeping a finger on the pulse of the group as a whole. So we went into it with our schedule and our talks. We ended up changing out, I think, two or three, two of our two of my talks and one other talk and change them on the fly that night, like for the next day to another talk, because behind the scenes, we were chatting and paying attention to the questions that were being asked and and the feedback we were getting and where they were getting stuck. And we're like, nope, they don't need that. They need this. So we had to put that together. So adjusting on the fly based on the needs of your group is going to change the experience so deeply. They didn't know we were doing that. We still had... Um, 
a really great, smooth way of doing everything, but it was just so critical that you pay attention. If, you, if you're like so rigid because you're like, oh, no, this is what we plan. This is what they get. And you're presenting and you're seeing that they're glossing over, but you're like, nope, I was committed to this. You're going to lose them. But if you're paying attention, you're seeing, oh, they need more of this. They need some more Q&A time. They need some hot seats so they can flesh out these ideas. Let's replace a talk with hot seats. Then you're customizing this event to the group that's in attendance, which is the most important thing. Also, in terms of execution, all hands on deck. Everybody on the team, whether they are physically at the event or back home managing things, all hands on deck. Everybody kind of knows that for those three, four, five days that it's just going to look wonky in the schedule. It's not going to be the typical stuff that is the priority. We are going to be focusing on this event and making it, hitting you know, a grand slam with it. And everybody knows their role in that process. And the experience of the attendees comes first. Yeah, you protect the visionary, but just ahead of that is each and every attendee that is there. So how can you offer them extra support? How can you make them feel like they are the most important person in the room. What can you do to enhance their experience? How can you shock and awe? How can you over-deliver? That's your priority during that event. Then with execution, we had a call to action in there. So you want to tie that call to action in so that it's not like out of left field. Make sure it's an offer that's totally in, in alignment with your audience, something that they want from you, and at a price point that is unique outside of the market so that they're not just going to your website after the event and seeing the same pricing. Like, How are you making this special for them? And have you practiced your call to action to fit the personality types of the people you're presenting to? After the event, you schedule a time right away in the first week while everything's fresh for a debrief. This is where you meet with your team and you discuss the things that went great, celebrate the things that went great, and then you talk about the things that could be enhanced for the next one. And then finally, there's the follow-up process. So the experience for the attendee doesn't end when the retreat ends and everybody flies home. What things do you have in place to keep that buzz alive, to keep that fire burning post-event? Do you have, you know, a Zoom scheduled where you're all meeting again to, to discuss something in particular? Do you have individual calls that you're doing with them? Like, what is it that's on the calendar and happening for these people? Are you mailing them something, a handwritten card? Just make sure the experience keeps on giving after the event ends. So I didn't want to, there are a lot of little details that go into this, as you can see, and I hope this isn't a deterrent from you doing it, but I also don't want anyone to go into it thinking that, oh, I'll just wing it because that would be really stressful. And I've been running these for coming up on nine years now, and they've been so powerful, both for my business, but more importantly, for the people that I serve and I work with. Don't underestimate the power of an intimate retreat-like event. It is very different than attending a conference, and it can move mountains for the people attending, and it can move mountains for your business if you do it right. So hopefully this helps, and it's something that you can take away and implement that strategy for yourself. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Before you go, make sure you take a minute to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on all of those amazing fromies, freebies for my homies, obviously, and content that we're creating just for you. And if you like today's episode, can you help us out and help us get this in the hands of more people by taking a screenshot of today's episode and sharing it with your friends, tagging me, passing it around on social media. Guys, we've got to get this mission and this movement out there to more people so that they are living their purpose 
and living out their dreams and getting paid for it well too. I'm also so thankful for all of the amazing feedback we've been getting in the reviews. So if this podcast is helping you grow, take a second and go review us on iTunes and be sure to check out today's show notes for more details and takeaways from the show. Until next week, guys, keep scaling up.